Hello everyone, my name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome to Lifestyle Matters and today we're talking with Dr. Savina about sleep. Hello Savina, how are you? Good, thank you Fergal, how are you? I'm good. So um, yeah, what is sleep and why do we need it? Sleep, I guess. Sleep is a very interesting topic to talk about because we spend so much of our day doing it but there is so many controversies and theories behind why we do it. The common thing, I suppose, is, you know, you sleep to conserve energy so that, you know, you're more functional the next day. Um, that's the usual theory that we go by. But there is so much to it um, than that. Um, have you ever had a look at the brain waves, you know, when um, of EEGs of people who are sleeping and how erratic mm. they can go? That's just showing us there's so much more that's happening when mm. we're sleeping. So I guess yeah, one of the, the most important... not inactive. Exactly right. Exactly right. Mm. I guess one of the most important things that we, the brain is doing is actually it's doing its housekeeping duties, like how we clean our house, cleaning all out the clutter, making space for new mm. memories, new learning processes the next day. Um, and also the other thing that it does is um, there's a part of your brain called the amygdala um, that controls emotions. Now, when we're sleeping, that part of the brain actually is quite active. Have you... Mm ever felt when you're actually sleep deprived you're you have a bit more of a startle response mm -hmm. yes yeah yep. yep i find i'm yep. easily startled when i've got disturbed sleep and and that's because while we're sleeping the brain the amygdala hasn't had time to sort of do what it has to do in the middle of the night while you're sleeping hence it doesn't have that adaptability during the day the other thing we find that when we're sleep deprived we're also at a higher risk of developing infections because the proteins that find off infections um, are also not getting it produced while you're not sleeping well. Also, um, you know, there was a study actually showing that people who were only uh, limited to four hours of sleep had a reduction of these cells called the natural killer cells by 72%. They found these natural killer cells are actually quite important in fighting off tumor cells, uh, which is quite interesting. Um, mm -hmm. The things that actually happen when so we're sleeping. So are you saying that... Are you saying that sleep deprivation actually causes cancer? Or are you saying that there's a link, but we're not sure yet what's going on? There is a link, but we're not sure yet. Exactly. Lots of studies right. are going yeah. through yeah. just trying to investigate it. Yeah. The other thing is also the anti-inflammatory, the inflammation cytokines, the proteins, are also increased in those who are sleep deprived. So shift workers, as we often hear, those who do night shifts or you know alternate shifts, they're at a higher risk of getting um, strokes and heart disease. And that's because these proteins are increased in those who are sleep deprived. So what I'm hearing is that sleep is not just the absence of function. Sleep is an inherently necessary function that, that our brains go through, that our bodies go through, that is actually very active. It's the time when the brain does its housekeeping. It's the time when the brain, when the body regulates its immune system. And for those also wanting to lose weight, the, the bad news is if you don't get enough sleep also, you're... Um, you know, the the uh, hunger hormone ghrelin increases in those who are sleep deprived, and so sleep deprivation actually makes you eat more calories, for any, compared to those that, that are not sleep deprived, and also uh, sleep deprivation in the long term increases the stress hormone cortisol, which of course then increases your your blood sugars, which if you're diabetic is not a good thing either. So there are as well uh, multiple endocrine effects. Definitely. But sleep is not a uniform process. You know, we don't just close our eyes and sleep. As, and as you've already alluded to, there are various stages in sleep and there are various types of sleep. Can you take us through what those are, Savina? 
So I guess if you want to break it down to two main stages, you've got the non-REM yeah. sleep, which is your non-rapid eye yeah. movement sleep, and then you've got the yeah. rapid eye movement sleep. Okay, so essentially we start off with the non-REM sleep, and that sort of you can break it off into three three stages. So the light, intermediate, and the deep phase. So the light part is when you're just drifting off to sleep, and if you know you hear light noise, you're easily woken up. The intermediate space is where you're actually then going into further into a further sleep, and the deep phase is the part where it's more of a restorative sleep phase, um, and that's where your brain sort of restoring itself, the body is restoring itself. Now the REM sleep, I guess, is it starts about ninety minutes after you fall asleep. And this is what I was talking about, where the brain activity sort of spikes quite a bit. Um, and this is when, I guess, um, you're doing a lot of, um, I suppose, um, reg emo emotional regulation. And it's very important yeah. for your cognitive functioning. Dreams mm -hmm. are quite vivid at that time. You're creating memories. So we hear a lot about REM sleep, don't we, Fergo? People yeah. talk about it. So the way I think about the way I think about the, the uh, about sleep is that there's deep sleep, non -deep, non REM deep sleep and REM sleep. Those are the two critical aspects of sleep, without which we really do suffer ill health. And as you say, deep third stage non REM sleep is when we when we restore ourselves. So the deficiency of that is what makes us feel groggy and tired in the mornings when we haven't slept well enough. That when we say we haven't slept well enough, that's when we're saying that we haven't had enough deep. Uh, non-REM sleep, stage three sleep. And then REM sleep, is I think of it as REM. So it actually means rapid eye movement sleep. So the, the guy that first discovered it found out that um, uh, eyes move very rapidly during this phase of sleep. That's why it's called uh, REM sleep. But I think of it as R for repro reprocessing. So that's when we do our emotional and cognitive reprocessing. That's when we lay down memories. That's when we deal with emotions. And if, as you say, if we're not able to deal properly with emotions or traumas in our day, then that's when we start having problems with post-traumatic stress disorder because of a deficiency in REM sleep, because of a, of a problem with reprocessing in the amygdala and also the uh, other parts of the brain. So that's R. Then E is actually, for me, erection. So men get erections at night during REM sleep. And then M is for muscles. Now, the reason why we don't actually act out our dreams is because actually we our muscle tone is reduced, our muscle power is reduced during REM sleep. So whilst our brain is very, very active, the muscles of our body are very inactive, and that's a kind of a protective factor that makes sure that we don't actually, you know, get up and you know go out and try and kill the animal that's threatening us. You know, it, it, it's it's a protective function. So that's how I think of the stages of of sleep and the types of sleep and as you also alluded to there's a there's a kind of a, a kind of a, a 45 to 90 minute cycle and we kind of cycle through those those uh th through those stages and we may have four or five cycles throughout a night's sleep but then that brings us on to the idea of well how much sleep do we need you know what you know what's a good night's sleep I suppose, Fergal, you know, and I, I'm going to take it back a step um, before that. You know how we talked, we talked about the four to five cycles. It actually, and we talk about 45 to 90 minutes, the REM stage starts, but it actually varies as we get older, doesn't it? Our, um, yeah, so, and it varies. And that's why we sort of hypothetically say seven to nine hours is what we need, but everyone varies. And the older we get, the less we, we need to sleep. 
um, the earlier we wake up. And this has got to do with all those changes of the hormones and um, things that are happening. Yeah, so we need about seven. And an adult needs about seven to nine hours sleep. And I think the point that I'd like to make is that the days of the sleep deprived hero are over. You know, sleep deprivation reduces our IQ, reduces our cognition, reduces our emotional reactivity, sorry, our emotional stability, reduces our immune system, increases our inflammatory state, predisposes us to chronic disease, may cause cancer, we don't know yet, but certainly causes a vast array of ill health. So you are under par if you haven't had your sleep. But as you've also alluded to, it's not necessary to get you know, seven to nine hours sleep all in one hit. You can, you can, you can have broken sleep, and that's perfectly reasonable. There are there are tribes in Africa that do that, don't they? There are. I think there's a lot of research going into that, though. Um, you know, about having daytime yeah. naps, and I think it comes down to where you live and what the culture is in that place. You know, yes. if you're living in a yeah. place that has, you know, Italy, for example, where afternoon siestas, and that's normal. That's when you recharge yeah. and re-energize, and that's normal. But you know, living in a different country, that might not be so. Um, you know, yeah. normal. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, before we had industrial lighting, it was a pervasive phenomenon that everyone had their first sleep and their second sleep. So everyone went to sleep for three or four hours when it got dark. And then they woke up at one or two o'clock in the morning for about an hour, did something boring. Like, you know, and the reason why we know this is because some of them actually wrote diaries in the, in the middle of the night and then went back to sleep and then woke up at the dawn. They still got their their sleep time but they had a an hour or so in between first and second sleep and that that is a kind of a phenomenon of pre-light cultures you know before we had artificial light so that our environment has actually changed the way that we behave in quite a quite a radical way so i was just going to ask you i mean what deter what what determines our um our sleep pattern versus our awake pattern the day night pattern and what's it called uh, oh the circadian rhythm the big word yeah so <laughs> circa diem comes from latin actually it means around a day now what's it interesting does. is yeah what actually is interesting about it is the fact that it is um every organism even a bacteria actually has its own circadian rhythm every cell in our body has its own circadian rhythm so if we take it back yeah. to us humans each cell has its own circadian rhythm. And um, these circadian rhythms are actually controlled by the master clock in our body, in our brain, yeah. called the um, suprachiasmic um, nucleus. And um, yeah. that's basically the main master control. Yeah. But there are certain factors that affect how it functions, doesn't it, Virgo? Yeah. Would you like to take us through so those? If, okay. So if left to its own devices, the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is the master clock, actually has a circadian rhythm, which is a day-night cycle of more than 24 hours. Most people have uh, a natural daylight cycle of about 24 hours and 15 minutes. Right. So there's, it's slightly longer than 24 hours. And so the reason why we have a day-night cycle that actually fits the day, i.e. 24 hours, is because our master clock, and for that matter, every other cell in our body is entrained to the natural 24-hour day-night rhythm of our world by external environmental time cues known as zeitgebers. And the biggest zeitgeber is light. So light falls onto the retina, and particularly on a group of cells in the retina called the retinal ganglion cells, which, have a, which mediate the light signal via a, a light a light molecule or a light sensitive molecule called melanopsin. 
and that sends cues to the suprachiasmatic nucleus, which then produces a hormone, or sorry, which then triggers the production of a hormone by the pineal gland, and that hormone is melatonin, and that's the primary sleep hormone. But the important point I want to make is that the day-night cycle and the exposure to day and night is first detected by us by our retinas, and it is that signal into the retina that entrains our master clock to 24 hours. The master clock then tells the rest of the body, right, everyone stick to a 24-hour rhythm, and the primary sleep hormone that, I'm, that is going to be produced as a result of this signal is melatonin. So broadly speaking, melatonin produced by the pineal gland gives us sleep, or gives us the signal to sleep, and the absence of melatonin uh, gives us the signal to awaken. But there are various physiological phenomena that occur around that process as well. So it's not just melatonin you fall asleep. So when we, when we go to bed, a couple of hours before, before we're due to sleep, the melatonin secretion from the, from the pineal gland increases. That then gives us the drowsiness feeling to go to bed. And then our bodies lose core temperature. So the heat from the core of our body goes to our feet. The vessels in our legs and arms dilate, so we get more heat, more blood, and therefore more heat traveling from our core to our limbs, to our peripheries. And then our blood pressure goes down. Those three key physiological phenomena, the melatonin secretion, the loss of central heat, and the loss of blood pressure, are the key physiological hallmarks of early sleep. And then, as the melatonin signal decreases and wanes to the second half of sleep, then the reverse happens. So uh, the, the body's core temperature goes up, and the body's peripheries, uh, they, they constrict again, and so you get more blood to the center, and therefore your blood pressure goes back up. So there's a kind of a waxing and waning. Think of it like the tide. The tide of heat and the tide of blood pressure leaving the core and going back to the core as we go through a normal night's sleep. So that are, those are the, the, the physiological functions that are associated with the night sleep. But there is a key process in the morning that also happens. What's that, Savina? What, what hormone is secreted in the, in the morning to get us going for the day? That would be our cortisol levels. Yeah. Well, why yeah, is that important? Yeah. I guess the thing is with your, um, essentially, can I just make one quick statement just about the uh, melatonin, just going back to the melatonin yeah, and sure. the light, which I think is quite interesting also. Um, if you find you find that people who are actually blind, um, who actually don't have that sort of, kind of get that signal of the light through their retina to send the message to the brain cells, um, they actually lose the day-night function um, cycle. People who suffer mm. with Alzheimer's or dementia, and that's why they get the sundowner syndrome, um, they lose that ability to talk, you know, from day to la from day to night, and they lose their sleep wake yeah. cycle too. It's quite interesting, isn't it? How it um, it all ties in together and makes more sense when you actually um, mm. figure out what the melatonin does and how it actually is produced. Um, but mm. yeah, going back to I guess um, um, uh, cortisol. I guess when you wake up in the morning, your cortisol levels rise, um, and it. Yeah. Keeps, keeps increase your alertness and um, yeah. gets you functioning, basically. Um, yeah. Did you want to go into that a it bit more? It gives you a sugar or... boost. Yeah. Yep. So the, the, I, want to, I want to demystify this statement that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Mm -hmm. 
Now, that statement was made by Kellogg's when they were first introducing breakfast cereal into the United States. And for some reason, it has stuck with us. And everybody believes that to get your metabolism going, to get you prepared for the day, you need to eat carbohydrates. You need to eat breakfast, right? Because it's the, it's the most important meal of the day. Well, that morning cortisol spike gets you going for the stresses of the day, prepares your entire body and also gets your sugar levels up. So you've already got breakfast in your system, but that breakfast has been uh, stored overnight by the liver. And the cortisol is one of the hormones that actually stimulates the, the, the release of energy from the liver in, in the form of sugar. So you've already got your morning sugar rush. You're already bright. You're already alert. You're ready for the day. You do not need to eat as soon as you wake up to get ready for the day. Um, and so that, that means that when we're talking about uh, concepts like intermittent fasting, it's perfectly safe and reasonable to engage in intermittent fasting. And remember, breakfast is simply the meal that breaks your fast. And so when you're, uh, when you're having your first meal of the day, it doesn't matter what time it is. It could be seven in the morning. It could be two o'clock two in the afternoon. It doesn't matter. You've got enough cortisol to get you going in the morning. So I hope I've emphasized the point that breakfast is not the most important meal of the day in terms of, it, of having to eat something at seven or eight o'clock in the morning. But going back to what you've said, You've mentioned previously that light is an important stimulator or regulator of the circadian rhythm, but it's not the only one. Can you tell us what other factors influence our circadian rhythm, Savina? So basically it comes down to a, a mnemonic um, that we sometimes use called COLT, C-O-L-T-E. C for carbs, O for osmolality, L for light, T for temperature, and E for exercise. But that's a whole other world to dive into, Fergal. So perhaps we should keep it for the next episode. What do you think? Okay, Savina, I agree with you that we need to explore those issues in the next episode. Thanks for your expertise today. And for those watching, thanks for watching. And if you've enjoyed, please subscribe. Otherwise, we'll see you next time.